This is the Elevators Podcast. We discuss all things elevating your life, work, and relationships as you are building your business and yourself. Here is your host, yours truly, Dylan Buck. What's up and welcome back to what I would consider a really important episode of our podcast. We're going to delve into the thought path of an individual whose unique ride on the family heritage train will prove to be extremely valuable for everyone listening. At the age of 25, Brian Wilson began his adventure with family heritage, accepting the challenging and worthwhile opportunity to, as Justin Ellingson would say, sell a product that matters, build with people he loved, and grow generational wealth. However, 10 years into his first go-around in this career, life's unpredictable journey took an unexpected turn, life had other plans, and events were such that he pivoted away from the business. As things would have it, 10 years later, he's back with Family Heritage in a different season of life. Today, he's here to share some thoughts and insights, some lessons learned, and a renewed and heightened conviction in the opportunity that we all sit in today. So get your pen and paper ready, and let's go. I'm glad that you're here. I, I, I guess the the reason I asked Brian if he would come on and, and share is I mean, he's just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to uh, the financial side of actually building wealth. And while we are in an opportunity where you can earn a lot of money, if you're not having your money work for yourself outside of the, the job and you're not paying yourself first um, and making sure that you're protected in the ways that you need to be protected if and when something happens, um, then... Uh, yeah, the money that you're earning isn't going to do as much or nearly as much as it could. So, uh, Brian, I'm excited for you just to take it whatever direction that you want to and uh, give people little bits of knowledge on how to build wealth while, um, you know, growing here at Family Heritage Excellent. in general. And uh, please stop me at any point, you know, for clarification or what have you, we'll kind of kind of go. But uh, I'll start off first with a story. And it was when I was in college, um, this one professor shared a story of kind of how people relate to money. And it's it's a story of what happens when the lights go out. And so for some people, they're in the situation that when the lights go out, it's a place of fear because they go, oh my gosh, I couldn't afford to pay the bill. The lights are out. I don't have enough. And it's a place of lack and it's a place of fear. And it's when you don't have enough money or you don't understand it. And you just are feeling like, I don't know what's going on, but the lights go out and, and you're kind of uh, reactive to that. Yeah. Second place is when the lights go out. And some of those people, they go, ah, oh, the lights went out. We must be having a power outage in the neighborhood. And I'm sure the power company will eventually restore it. And I know there was a storm coming through and they must have knocked out the power lines. And so, hey. And so when you're in that place, when the lights go out, you're not really worried about things. You can adapt to change. You're educated about the surroundings that are going on with you. And, and it's a place where you're not in fear. The other place is when the lights go out and you're not rightly related to your wealth or right related to yourself. And when the lights go out, you go, oh my gosh, my alarm system went down. I hope someone doesn't break in and steal my stuff. What about this? What about that? And it's kind of a place of fear because although you do have wealth because you're not rightly related to the wealth, you still live in a place of fear because you're concerned 
about what's going to threaten you or what's going to take you because you're not grounded in the right things. So regardless of money, it's interesting, Dylan, because I know in some of my times with financial advising with people, they would say, well, what do you think about this or that? Or I said, have you spoke with your spouse or you know, prayed about it or thought about it, whatever it might be? And they're like, no, no, no. I just want to know the numbers about it. <laughs> and it's like, well, you can have the numbers all right, but if the soul's kind of wrong, then it doesn't really matter how much money you have. In like manner, when the soul's right, it doesn't really matter how much money you have either. So it's interesting. We'll be talking about money things today, but I think it's important to kind of frame that at the beginning about how you're related to your money. And really, I think it comes down to two things. Number one, understanding how does money work? And then number two is once we understand how that money works, how does that apply to us, right? Because everyone's going to kind of have their own unique talents, gifts, time, and treasures. And it's interesting because I remember reading something about wealth and saying, hey, you really need three things. You need money, you need time and freedom, and you need health. Yeah. And if you don't have all three, you can have all the money in the world and all the freedom, but if you don't have the health then you, it's more challenging if, right. And so on and on. So, but uh, I just want to ground out with that and then, and then bring into Dylan, what I think is beginning then this concept of, well, well, how does money work? Right. And for each of us, um, we're kind of really born into whatever situation, but I think the first thing to understand is that there's different phases of wealth. So there's three phases of wealth and everybody's going to go through it. The first phase is from when really we're kind of born or come into money. Because before we get to, we're our own generation of it. We're just kind of a product of our systems to a certain extent, but that's also part of how we interpret money, right? Did we come from lack? Did we come from abundance? Did we come from money being a tool for giving? Was it something where there was a never enough? If if you talked about money, you were scolded. So, but anyway, we get into a point where we're on our own two feet and we're what's called people at work, where we are taking our times, our talents, our treasures, to try and impact the world and we're getting compensated for that. So the wealth building phase is really started from when you first start to generate wealth on your own all the way up into the point where you kind of turn off what's called people at work. Some people would call that retirement. Some people, it could be death. It could be disability. There could be any number of reasons why someone transfers from being people at work to assets at work. We don't actually know when that's going to be, but it's going to be some period of time between, you know, starting work till kind of quote unquote retirement. Okay. Mm -hmm. During that phase, there's certain opportunities, there's certain things we want to do, but just in general, and we'll come circle back to this. But so there's the wealth building phase. The second phase is really the wealth distribution phase. And that's how do we get income from our assets? So when we're at the people at work phase, the income that we're receiving is from us. We're going out and we're making money or helping create entities or build businesses that then those businesses or those assets will produce income. But at some point, <clears throat> if we're not people at work, we still need income. And really the whole story of wealth is a story of income. And what I mean by that is if you had all the money you needed to do the things that were important to you for as long as you lived without fear of running out, that's pretty good. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of an income story. The income story begins with us as people at work, but then in the distribution phase, it's what assets have you created that then can produce income for you to allow you to maintain this lifestyle. And so if it's not people at work, then it's got to be assets at work. So what's happening is while we're in the people at work years, we're building these assets. And people think about, oh, what should I do? Should I get real estate? Should I get you know, crypto? Should I get stocks, bonds? All those are different assets that then will have different characteristics. But ultimately, the question in the distribution phase is, how can those assets provide you income? 
And then the third phase is then when we pass away. So the distribution phase is kind of getting income from our assets. How do we maximize our income? And then that third phase then is when we pass away and money goes to the next generation. And so there's the wealth building, the wealth distribution, and the wealth preservation. So in that, it's just important to understand that the decisions we're making in the wealth building phase are ultimately setting up the distribution. So the analogy is if you're, if, if I said, Dylan, what's the objective of climbing a mountain? What would most people say? Get to the top. Yep. Get to the top and said, oh, you want to enjoy the process. Everybody's got the philosophical thing, but at the end of the day, we're trying to get to the top of the mountain. And then once we yeah. get there, that's great. You know, it's like, and people talk about, oh gosh, I want to retire someday. Won't that be amazing? Well, once at the top of the mountain, we've still got to get down. And yeah. so, and we do want to enjoy the process up in the journey. We want to enjoy the top and we want to enjoy it coming down. Right. And most of the accidents occur coming down the mountain. That's true for people in retirement as well. And what I mean by that is, is we're building this kind of quote unquote mountain of cash. And then we're trying to come down and how do we spend and enjoy these assets that we built? Often people just don't know what they don't know. And that's not their own fault. They're just doing the best they can. Yeah. So it's interesting I'm going to take a pause here because in my studies of all the different things where I'm, you know, learning how does money work? And it was great because I wasn't learning it from any certain company or any certain product. Um, it was just kind of, how does it work? Just like, um, um, like solids, liquids, and gases are kind of how science and nature works. And that's true with money too. There's, there's uh, contractual wealth, there's statement wealth, there's real property wealth, and they have different characteristics. But it was so interesting then coming out and being a financial advisor and working with people. I, uh, Dylan, I, as you know, I live here out in Portland, Oregon, but like Nike's here and Intel's here. And so yeah. I'd be sitting doing advising with a guy who worked at Nike or at Intel. And it was so interesting because um, these people, this guy was making lots and lots and lots of money, but that still doesn't mean he understands how money works. And that's not his fault. But part of the reason he came to me was like, it was almost like, holy cow, I don't want to be embarrassed around other people, but like, how does this stuff work? And he just didn't know how much money he had because ultimately the big question is, is really all about this income story again. And this is where Family Heritage signs shines. And this is where when I started to really understand these concepts, some of which I'll try and hopefully unpack a little bit here today, is it really unlocked why Family Heritage is such an amazing opportunity. Because for example, this individual who's working at Nike, making great money, feeling like, oh man, I'm at this great company, but he's terrified of retiring. And I'm looking at the guy at his age and stage and phase and going, man, this is like you're watching the train wreck getting ready to happen. Because I know how much money this guy's got, how much he's spending, how old he is, and the lifestyle he's trying to main through, maintain through retirement. And it's like, oof, um, this is tough. Because it doesn't matter how much money you have. What matters is how much you can consume. Which is maybe I'll pivot here a little bit to now talking about um, not say why did I come back to family heritage, but I love family heritage. I didn't really want to leave the first time. It was just a situation where sometimes life is something where um, things happen, right? Changes occur. But I would encourage us to always fertilize the grass we're on and make it greener and always leave things so that we always have opportunities to come back. We always want to pay things forward. We always want to leave things as if we're always going to be it there. And in doing so, I think you sleep well at night and you provide opportunities where, you know, it's kind of full circle here. Now I'm coming back and, and learning from some of those people who I had an opportunity to teach earlier on. And, and it's all part of the, 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 the beautiful thing in that way. But the distribution phase, what happened is, as I was working in financial advising with some of these uh, folks, I thought, oh, my gosh, um, 
the family heritage opportunity is incredible. And it's funny because then I would, you know, be, let's say an advisor to a family heritage person. And, and they're like, you know, Brian, what should I do? What should I do? You know, well, what you should do is, is do the business the way you're trained, treat people <laughs> well, um, have good A to T. <laughs> I, I'm already hearing that. Like what's, what's the good stuff, you know, but, uh, and, and I'll kind of unpack here, but, but I want to take for a moment and kind of talk about this distribution phase. And so what this is, is I'm going to fast forward to retirement for a second and say, Dylan, okay, today you're never working again. We're done. And this is any career we have, right? Let's let's say that I was in a job where I owned a car dealership or, or any other business and I sold it for a big pot of money. And I had this business, I go, oh my gosh, I've got a million dollars. Just for example, say, because millions is really a round number. I know in the, today's day and age, people are like, ah, may not go as far as it once went. But in general, we can use those numbers and then 10 million or whatever the number would be. So at that point of retirement, if someone says they're 65 and they go, I've got a million dollars, how much the question really is, how much can I spend and enjoy without running out? So I had I had this, I had this gal in California. Her mom passed away. She got four million dollars. And literally the question is, can I retire? You know what I mean? Do I still have to work? And yeah. so what that is is a question of what's called sustainable spending rates or distribution rates. And it's something that a lot of people probably aren't familiar with. They might be familiar with how much is my money growing by, what's my rate of return, but this is a completely different story. And the way I would just use it is, if I had a million dollars a year and I was gonna spend $100,000 a year, then I could have a 10% distribution rate on a million dollars and it would last 10 years, for example, right? right? 100,000 to 900 to 800 to 700. The ten percent of the of the million would be a hundred thousand for ten years. So if I was looking at a ten year time frame, hey, I want to have my money last for ten years, and I'm just using really simple math. The ten percent distribution rate would be I would have a ten year time horizon. A million dollars would give me a hundred thousand dollars a year, basically. Yeah. So what happened was financial planning, a lot of this for a long time just didn't really exist because people didn't live that long. You know, you kind of worked your whole life and then died on the farm or whatever, right? So this whole idea of like working in the retirement and living in long-term retirement didn't really exist to a certain extent, right? But as longevity has occurred and, and we've lived in a more fortunate society, we've gotten to this thing where they said, hey, we should probably start figuring out like how much can we spend? You know, and there used to be the commercials like, oh, what's your number and how much is enough? And it's interesting because people who still in that spot where the lights go out and they go, do I have enough? Even though they've got $5 million, $10 million, 20, however much money they have, they go, gosh, I'm not sure if it's enough yeah. because they don't understand longevity because they're looking at their parents going, well, gosh, I might live for a long time and they don't understand distribution. So to make it very, very, very simple, and I'm not going to get into details of the, the another thing. We're just keep very, very simple. Sometimes in financial planning, people have thought, what are distribution rates that we can use for people through retirement? And so a lot of times the retirement time horizon might be 20 years in retirement or 25 or 30, right? Let's say someone retires at 65 years old. If they're going to live to 85, then that's a 20-year time horizon. If they're going to retire at 65, live till 90, 25 years, et cetera, right? So they said, oh, well, maybe we'll use this 25-year time horizon, they being you know, economists and folks who are trying to do what's called like Monte Carlo simulations or things where they're trying to run scenarios of how much can we really spend and enjoy of our wealth? 
without running out in retirement and using this 25-year time horizon. And unfortunately, Dylan, what happened is that wasn't very exciting for a lot of people. And what I've seen by that is that it doesn't matter how much you have, but what you can consume. And so someone who has a million dollars at retirement, this millionaire is really not a millionaire. What they are is they are a percent error. That percent being what can they consume of their assets? Right. So for example, if someone said the 4% rule or 4%, then for a million dollars of assets, that might give me $40,000 of income. Mm -hmm. So for example, then if someone says, well, gosh, I'd love to be in retirement. Let's say someone comes to me and this, this Nike guy and he's making hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we said, well, how many assets do you have? Because if you're going to shut off your people at work and you're going to retire from whatever said company you're working at, but you want to maintain this lifestyle, how many stacks of millions do you need to replicate your lifestyle? Yeah. Well, for every hundred thousand, you're going to need about 2.5 million. So if you want $200,000 a year, you're going to need 5 million, right? And I'm looking at the guy and he's sitting there working his tail off, trying to do all the things, take his kid on vacation. And he's looking at the number of millions that he has. And he's looking at the lifestyle of income. And he's like, oh my gosh. So then what are you going to do? Are you going to save more? Are you going to take more risk? Are you, you know what I mean? So, and so yeah. what was happening in Dylan is, as I was working with these people towards retirement, I kept coming back and going, man, this family heritage thing's a pretty good deal, you know, because <laughs> it's interesting. So, so here's a, a real simple thing I'm going to try and do as easy as I can. Um, and, and we'll just, you know, as best as we can on this. And what this is, is a little scenario that I try to come up with to try and explain this, um, power of renewals. So here's what it is. And so for some of you, I remember when I was first starting, this whole concept of renewals was so far away because I was just trying to make it in the business. You know what I mean? So it seems so far away. For some of you, you got your first renewal. And I remember I got the first one and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a, you know, not as huge as I thought. It's, right. it's a takes time business, right? And that's okay. What I'm explaining is a concept. And then I'm going to, again, continue some more points in our conversation today. But what I want to try and illustrate is this light bulb going off of going, oh my goodness, because Dylan, I was fortunate that I had some really great mentors around me, some really great people who had laid the ground before me. I was just a guy who said, you know, I can work hard, I can study hard, I can be coachable, I care about people, and I can apply the systems and the strategies that are taught for me. And thankfully, I was fortunate that I could be a part of that system, and I was able to have success as a team leader, or excuse me, as a personal production. I was able to have success as a team leader. I was able to have an opportunity to grow into an agency ownership. And I felt very fortunate to have that. And it wasn't me. It was the collective group that I was a part of. But Dylan, in our 10 years when I was here, and I had the opportunity to move out to the, the West Coast, and we had had built a six-figure renewal. That was a pretty exciting thing. And so as we start to, I want to try and peel this back a little bit. Yeah. So if someone takes a look at their monthly vested renewals, so let's say it was $1,000, and they multiply that by 12, they'll get some annual amount, which would be, let's say, $1,000 a month is $12,000 a year, for example, right? So I'm taking my monthly renewals times 12 to get an annual number, and then I'm going to take that number and divide it by 0 0.04, or that 4%. 
The reason why I'm doing that is just trying to do this conceptual analogy of saying, hey, if I'm doing this 4% withdrawal rate, how much assets would I need to try and mimic this income, if that makes yeah. sense? Yeah. So for example, if I take the $1,000 a month, which is 12,000 a year, divide by 0.04, that comes up with 300,000. So I would need a $300,000 retirement nest egg at a 4% withdrawal rate to get about $1,000 a month of income or $12,000 a year. So for example, if I wanted to try and get a $10,000 a month income, hey, I wanna retire, I'm gonna you know, march off into the sunset, I built my career somewhere and, and I'm going to this financial advisor and gosh, I would love to have a $10,000 a month income. Yeah. $10,000 a month times 12 months is $120,000 a year. If I divide that by 0.04, that would be 3 million. In other words, if I was wanting to say, hey, I would like to mimic, uh, you know, six figure a year income and I want to have that, that would have means, which is basically what I had done in about 10 years, but our team and our impact in our communities were able to protect enough families to generate enough compensation that allowed my family to have this six figure renewal, which would be the equivalent of building $2.5 million of wealth. So the analogy, Dylan, would be as a 25-year-old who's coming in with no background experience, no, it, it, I didn't know much about insurance at all, you know what I mean? And yeah. was fortunate to be able to plug into a system that I would have had to, in a 10-year time horizon, made enough money to provide the same opportunity for my family, tithe in the ways that were meaningful for me, go on vacations, have the memories and set aside and grow $2.5 million in 10 years. Wow. Yeah. So when that light bulb starts going off, I'm going, wow, that's kind of interesting. You know, <laughs> and the reality is, is this is I'm sitting down with these people and advising them. And this is a situation you're in because they don't have renewal income. What they're having is a pot of money that's saying, hey, I've got $3 million. I've won the game. How much can I spend and enjoy without running out? Right. This gal who gets $4 million, how much can I spend and enjoy without running out about 160 grand? And that'll be for about 25 years, which interesting enough, Dylan, is kind of a similar time horizon with some of the, the things on the return of premium. And you know what I mean? So, so it's an interesting kind of uh, fair, you know, analogy a little bit. So, so my point of that is this, it's a very powerful concept to think about that for each, whenever you could get to in your renewals. And again, it takes time. It takes doing the right activities consistently over time. It's writing good business. It's keeping people on the books. But for every time that you click over $3,333 a month in renewals built up, that's the equivalent of almost having set aside a million dollars for income purposes, which is pretty cool, you know? Yeah. Um, and if you take the values of your renewals and start to do that, it can be things that are that are important. So anyway, I'm, I'm kind of taking a pivot there because it's it's just so powerful to understand the opportunity you're sitting on. And um, so... I've kind of beat that drum a little bit. Any, I'll pause here for a second, Dylan. I, I know I kind of get going here to see any questions, clarification, feedback. Any, I'll just kind of take a breath for a sec, right? No, I think it's great, and I think it's a, it's really easy to take the opportunity for granted. And you know, if people don't have a, a financial mind like yours, breaking things down by percentages and you know different time horizons of you know what retirement could actually look like, um, it's just yeah, people don't usually think about the the equivalent of one thousand or ten thousands or you know, 30,000 or whatever the number is uh, coming in monthly from the efforts that we're doing now and how that, how that will impact us, you know, later down the line. 
And uh, yeah, it's, it's wild to think about <laughs> the equivalent when you share those numbers um, when it just comes to saving a specific number. Mm -hmm. It is. It's very, very powerful. And it's interesting too, just for a little background, I mean, I didn't come from money. I didn't have, um, I felt fortunate that I remember with the opportunity, I was like, you can work as many hours as you want, you know, because yeah. uh, certain places would kind of limit in that. But it was interesting. I'll just share this. I remember one person, because um, again, I'm, I'm not the, uh, I've been fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of great people and have, have been able to apply some of the concepts. So, um, but I remember one person saying that, you know, as you're looking to build wealth somewhere, look for these concepts um, in addition to obviously feeling something, because my dad always talked to me and taught me about, Brian, whatever you're going to be doing, make sure you're proud of what you're doing. Make sure you're doing the right things because you spend a lot of time doing it, you know? And so yeah. obviously, fundamentally, we have to be rightly aligned, in my opinion, in in, in whatever it is that we're called to do. But um, they said, you know, if you could do something where you, instead of just getting paid one time, you could get paid for a lifetime, Number two, if you could have the ability to duplicate your efforts through the efforts of others, in other words, be able to create greater impact, not just being one and of yourself, but if you could help other people to do some of the things you're doing, then you can create a greater impact in the marketplace. And number three was to own all or a part of something. And so it's pretty exciting here at Family Heritage because we have an opportunity as we protect families and the team members, we have an opportunity to influence and impact protect families that we can get paid not just one time, but over a lifetime we can have an ability to duplicate our efforts through the efforts of others in ways that are meaningful for us and to have diversification. And we have an opportunity to own, um, we're in business for ourselves, but not by ourselves. You know, we have people who are willing to do push-ups beside us, but we still have to do our own, you know? And so it's beautiful because we can own a part of that, own a part of a company who is a part of good things. And so it's really interesting that way. So that was, I think is a big takeaway just in, in terms of enjoying, because no matter what you're doing, everybody's going to leave the business. Everybody leaves, you're going to die or retire. So it's funny because when I um, had pivoted, I moved out here. And part of the reason too, just for those on the call to know, when I did leave uh, Family Heritage the first time, part of that was because, uh, not necessarily my own choice, but there was licensing things. We weren't in all the different states. You know, it's not a big deal. So it's not like there was some big, ugly foul or whatever. It was just times were the way they were. But so then I was thinking about, well, gosh, if I was going to be doing something else, what would I do, for example, sake? <clears throat> And it's interesting. So then going into like, I'll say like a job interview, but one of the questions is, so when I leave the business, you know, you're walking into wherever you're going to start working and your questions are, what's it going to look like when I leave? And what I mean by that is for a lot of places, when you don't work there anymore, you don't get paid anymore. And the jobs that I had done before I did Family Heritage, once I stopped working, I didn't get paid anymore. Like I wasn't getting paid for something I did 10 years ago, right? <laughs> But the opportunity with the lifetime vested renewals and writing good business and, and sticking around, um, you can create some pretty amazing things. And so um, it really is all about what happens when you leave. Because if you can enjoy the process the whole time and have enough income to do the things that are important to you for as long as you live, pretty good. So anyway, <laughs> so now I'm going to just pivot a little bit to... Um, I know because people want nuggets, you know what I mean? They always want a little nuggets, you know, give me some nuggets. Point number two, though, is I'm still going to delay it for a second with, and I'm going to swing it to the family heritage phase of wealth. So here's the thing that's so interesting. I will give you some nuggets in point three, but this is point two, which is the family heritage phases of wealth. So point one was phases of wealth. Point two is the family heritage phase of wealth. And here's what I'm saying. 
the best thing that often what people do, and it was funny because yeah, people would come to me and like, oh, I got all this money. What should I do with it? And I'm like, well, keep doing what you're doing. Or, you know, there's an agency owner who had an opportunity to kind of invest more in the agency and kind of like, maybe I can put more resources towards growing what I'm currently doing. And I'm like, that's absolutely what you should do because you're not going to go find a better income distribution channel in retirement later. So I know you want to go get the piece of real estate, but each one of those policies, like a little mini piece of real estate that's paying you rent every single month with no upkeep, expanding even more. And so um, my point of it is, is it's important to understand that there's different phases in your family heritage career. And that's okay, because sometimes people are in such a rush of going, well, gosh, what about the 401k that I was used to contributing to? Or, and I'm just getting started in this new career in my old career. I was used to having this match. And what about my retirement? And, you know, so they have kind of some trepidation around like, am I doing enough financially to help me in the long run making good decisions? Because it feels like when I'm getting started in this first parts of the career, that either A, it's a lot of work and I'm not seeing the renewals yet, or what about this or what about that? So it's just a different um, traditional mindset than a lot of people are accustomed to. And that's a good thing. And that's a wonderful thing because those traditional ones, people get to the top of the mountain and they go, I got no ropes to get down the mountain. Versus the people at Family Heritage go, this is incredible. I can't believe it. You know, the renewals are actually better than I thought. And um, so anyhow, so the first phase in the family heritage career is when you first start come on until your account clears. It's going to be all different things, but the most important thing to understand during this phase is it's, I don't want to say it's really not about the money. It's, and I don't want to say it's just about survival, but it's just like, if you can just be in the business. So just be coachable, learn what to do, live within your means. It is a delayed gratification piece, right? Where at the beginning, it's like, um, you know, I, I was in the business. I still have my renewals for my first decade here. So I could go do a lot of things that I want to do. However, I understand that there's different seasons of the business. And so at the beginning of the season, it's just, you're just planting. You're just, you know, it's like you're putting seeds down that are going to harvest later. And maybe that person you see today isn't uh, going to be protected today, but they might be in a year from now. Or that person I talked about sharing the dream might not be the right fit today, but it might be later. Um, and so really in that first phase of the business, it's just learning how to live within your means, learning how to do the business and learning how to just stick around. Meaning if you're good health wise and mentally, it's funny. It's the same type of thing with the financial advising thing, right? Like if you're happy and you're feeling good, it really doesn't matter how much money you have. And it's if you're miserable and feels terrible, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Same thing in the business. It's going to take time. That's just part of it, right? And so for me, it's important to understand, hey, I'm in a different season. You might look at some of these other people you see in the business and where they're at and you go, oh my gosh, look how good this person, look how great that person is. Um, they all started at the beginning too. And, and, and really who cares what they're doing anyway, because that's their deal. And it's exciting because there's good news around. Um, yeah. But so what you want to do in that first business, I get uh, in the first phase again, is just kind of survive, eventually learn what an A to T ratio is, eventually learn like how, what, like what first year commission is, what renewal commission is, but really from a financial planning standpoint, the thing that you would do in the first phase of your career at Family Heritage there is just do the business because you're laying the foundation for everything else that'll be able to provide for everything else. And so there's not this pressure about like, oh gosh, what about going and doing this or putting money towards that? Or Because again, the renewal base you're building is going to be a far greater income generating asset 
than you going and putting money in a stock or if, et cetera, if that makes sense, which is once we get to the distribution phase. Um, so you've just got to be patient with yourself and it's going to take a little time for your account to clear just because it's not like we can say, hey, Mrs. Protected Family today, can you pay the next 20 years of premiums in advance? That's not how it works, right? Like if, if they pay monthly, then it takes a year for them to pay 12 months. You know what I mean? You don't get to the 13th month until 13 months later. So there's nothing anybody can do about that. Um, and so it's just learning about it's a long-term perspective, right? That's part of like with farming, you don't expect to plant a seed and there'll be a tree tomorrow, you know, but but the shade we stand under of the return of premium checks that I'm going to start delivering in February from 20 years ago, those seeds were planted 20 years ago when I was following a system that I got taught in the training because I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I cared about people and I would just say hello. And what was great is we were part of a great thing where people said, I'll take that seed and now it's maturing 20 years later because we treated them well and did those things. So in that first phase between until your account clears, I would just try as best as possible to keep the pressure off yourself financially, meaning just try to make it, try to hit the different incentives that are available to you. Um, it is very valuable when you can get different incentives that pay you in cash because it's all the money right up front and you can do with that as you want. But I would encourage you guys listening to just be wise stewards of that money. The next phase is eventually the account clears. At that point, it starts to, because um, it, it just takes time to learn the cash flows. Again, I'm not going to dive into it. It takes time to learn the business. And the best thing is at the end, it doesn't really matter anyway, because if you're producing business every week or you know on a consistent basis, then everything will take care of itself, right? So just keep doing the right activities from a business standpoint. After your account clears, here's what happens also sometimes. Sometimes people's account clears on the personal professional side, on the personal production side, and they decide that's the career they want to build. And that's fine. There's people who do wonderful careers in this business and they try and primarily stay in a personal production role. Once their account is cleared and they're in personal production, they can begin to take steps on some of these other steps that I'll share in point three. Other people feel called to say, you know what, I might get involved in team leadership some. So the moral of the story in that whole process is a lot of times when I was a financial advisor, I want to have someone come to me and they're they're still building their business and they still had a family heritage account and they were doing a lot of things and like, Brian, what should I be doing financially? And I would say to them, just keep doing what you're doing. And they, they, they didn't really love that. You know what I mean? Because it was like, well, that seems super boring. Or I would say, hey, you know, on these really big train more weeks, or maybe you have a really good enrollment or some big production weeks where maybe you have a lot of production, but maybe you don't need all that. Maybe take no advance on some of those. Or if you have somebody you're not sure that they're going to be coming through, because what we're building again, the big value in family here is the renewals. So we want to write good business. We want to treat people well. And it's okay to, it doesn't, our, our business isn't sexy and flashy at the beginning. So you don't need this big, flashy, sexy money things either. You know, like it's slowly building. It will continue to do it. I know it doesn't seem sexy to say, hey, get your A to T up or let's focus on writing good business. But those are the things that will ultimately provide for everything else. Amen. Hopefully that makes sense, Dylan. And and again, I guess the thing is just being um, living within your means and and learning how to pay taxes. And again, it's not fancy, flashy, whatever, but the cash flows piece is a, a critical part. So I'm going to now finish up with the, the 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 nuggets, you know, of what to do. But the important thing is to understand those nuggets don't come until you've done these other things first. And what I mean by that is it's very, very difficult to be doing other things financially when you're still trying to just do some fundamental things. And, and 
the best thing you can be doing is just having a good, healthy family heritage business, having a good, healthy you business, having a good, healthy marriage business, and then the rest will all take care of itself, you know, over time. So I hear are the good nuggets, but understand that they may take a while. It's a delayed gratification piece. Now I'll share with you, once your account has cleared and you've got some extra cash, now what do I do with it? You know, because people are going, all right, well, here's the good stuff, but I want to do, but, but people want to do this first. And it's really like handle the business and the business will take care of you. Handle you and you can do the business, you know? And then the money part is kind of the, the end part of it all. So then there's a couple of things. So, so one key just in general, Dylan, is that um, it's important to protect where we're already at so we don't go backwards. And this would be true of no matter what phase we're at. And so these are kind of the point number three, which is kind of some action steps, takeaways, what are some do's, to-dos. So number one is protect your assets, your income, and your economic life value. So number one, protecting the assets, that would be typically done through like car insurance, homeowner's insurance, and what's called a personal liability umbrella policy or a PLUB. And so in general, um, it's just good to have some good education around making sure I don't want to get sued and go backwards because something outside of my control impacted my finances. Right. In general, we want to try and have maximum protection and minimum cost. Premium and cost are not the same thing. The biggest thing around here would be just looking at what their liability protection is in the event if they're out driving and something happens. I would encourage people to potentially look into what's called a personal liability umbrella policy um, and how that might make sense for their situation. Often, you know, they've got uh, the most valuable bundler with Patrick Mahomes now, where if you get the car, auto, and umbrella, you get a discount. So in general, one thing that would be wise for everybody here is to be mindful of their family and making sure they're protected against lawsuit. Number two would be protecting your income. Now, the beauty of the business with Family Heritage is that our business in general is one where it helps protect income, right? Because we're out there doing policies that, that eventually will produce income. This could be where you look into owning a family heritage policy for yourself and your family to protect your income in those situations. It could be where you're looking into an individual disability policy. But in general, the philosophy is um, if I sell in multiple states, then I'm diversifying my income. If I recruit in multiple states, I'm diversifying my income. If I, if I write good business, I'm protecting my income. And so it's not necessarily just a policy that, hey, I'm going to go buy some policy to ensure my income, but what are strategies we can have? living within our means, owning real estate. There's a variety of ways, okay? Number three would be um, the economic life value. And that would be with your health. You know, your most valuable asset is you and your ability to generate income and to have an impact in the world. So while we are healthy, um, you know, getting things like potentially life insurance. Um, when we talk about economic life value, that's protecting your income. Just to use a quick example there. If someone's making $100,000 a year in income in first year commissions, and they're planning to work for 10 years, then $100,000 times 10 years would be a million. So if I bought a $1 million 10-year term life insurance policy, then in essence, what I'm doing is protecting about $100,000 of first year incomes for 10 years in general. So in general, be thinking about that. There's lots of different types of life insurance. Um, for a lot of you, those getting uh, just started on this, just getting something basic that when you've got good health that you can maybe make some changes with later, but in general, protecting your assets. It's also good to have just some things like a uh, will updated, um, you know, things of that capacity, um, how assets are titled. 
So number one is to kind of protect your assets. Number two is we eventually want to get to a position where we start to save money. Still trying to understand the cash flows. They just put too much pressure on themselves at the beginning. It's just like, just build your business, right? At some point, you're going to have a point where it kind of tips over and the money just kind of keeps coming in. And then what you can start to do is say, hey, I built the business. My account's cleared. I can kind of do some planning. And then you can start to look at, hey, look, if I'm making about $100,000 a year in income, and this would be what I'm looking on my tax return, which is called a 1040. It's my personal tax return. And if my income after expenses is $100,000 a year, then I want to try and try and save 15% of that. So if I'm making about $100,000 a year of income, I'm going to try and save at least 15000 Okay. The reason for trying to save income is that there's what's called wealth eroding factors are always working against us inflation, market changes, life changes, all these types of things. So if we're not currently consistently saving money, then at some point life is going to happen and we're going to have to react in inefficient ways because we'll have to borrow money inefficiently because we didn't save it into efficient places. Right. So this is the biggest one I see people get in trouble with over a long period of time, but it is what it is. Um, cause they're like, ah, I don't want to, well, and point number three kind of is after two, which is liquidity savings. So as we're saving, where do we save money to? Well, I would try and save money to at the beginning point, just safe places where you're not going to lose money. That could be checking accounts, savings accounts. I mean, they have online accounts like the ally bank, for example, which has, you know, you can make good interest rates with that where there's no risk. But the idea is we want to have money. We can go get if we need to. That's somewhere between three months living expenses and six months income. Now, in the family heritage business, the temptation is to say, well, I don't need a whole lot of liquidity because I'm just going to get, you know, my accounts cleared. I've got this renewal check coming in. I'm just saying it's good to have a little bit of cash for staying power. You can do what you want, but cash is king. Now, how much liquidity? Uh, that's going to depend on, again, the situation you're in. It's going to be personal, but you want to have somewhere between three months living expenses and six months income. So if I've got $100,000, right, that's showing up on my uh, 1040, that's going to be the expenses, which could be lifestyle I live into up to 50000 But you don't want to get too much more because eventually you become an inefficient. Okay. The reason for liquidity is to, number one, keep you from bad debt because, Again, without getting crazy technical, there's different rates of return, but I could have money sitting in cash earning a 0% internal rate of return, meaning it's not generating interest while the money sits there. But by having that money, it allows me to do things I wouldn't otherwise do. For example, I might be able to pay my car insurance annually. And if I pay my car insurance annually, I might make a 20% rate of return because instead of paying $100 a month, on my car insurance at $1,200 a, month, a year, maybe annually I can pay it 1000 So if I pay 1000 annually versus 100 monthly, I'm getting a 20% rate of return with zero risk because I had saved money that I had 1000 that I could stroke that annual check. Well, if I'm living too close to the vest, I can't do that and I got to pay 100 bucks a month. Yeah. And so this liquidity piece is about protecting us from negative debt and negative things that can happen and also opening the door to positive things that might be available to us. Step one is max protection minimum cost. Step two is save 15%. Save three is liquidity. Step four is diversification. So as we're saving money, eventually we're going to have more money, right? If we're doing these philosophies and we go, well, we don't need that much cash on hand. So as we move the money, we want to look into 
Short-term, medium-term, and long-term savings. Again, we won't get a deep dive on all this stuff, but short-term is money I might need in the next year. You know, mid-term might be in the next one to three, one to five years. Long-term might be 10 plus years. So I'm going to save money into different places based on that, right? There are different rules around money. Um, but the thing I know about the future is if I'm if I'm not spending money today, it's for future consumption. Either I'm going to spend it later or someone else is going to spend it later. When's later? I don't know. It could be short-term, medium-term, long-term. But in the future, the market, when I go to get my money later to spend it, wherever I'm going to go put it, the market's going to be up or down. Interest rates are going to be up or down. Taxes are going to be up or down. And I have no control over any of those things. So in that, as I'm diversifying my savings, I want to make sure I don't put all my eggs in one basket. And then I have a diversification. I might have some contractual wealth where I can have guaranteed growth or guaranteed predictable things happening. I might have statement wealth where I can make money, but I could also lose money. But that's just part of the understanding. I might have real property wealth where I can see it, feel it, touch it, enjoy the wealth I live in. And so there's all types of different ways they have different pro uh, properties. But the more of the stories we want diversification. Yeah so that we always can adapt to whatever changes is happening. And then step number five is we want to make sure that we're not just sitting on our money, letting it accumulate and compound. Because what we're often taught to do by the financial institutions who want our money, who want it consistently over time, who want to hold on to it for as long as possible, and who want to give it little by little back to us, is they want to hold it as long as possible. And so if we just put our money somewhere that we don't have access to get that money, it just accumulates in compounds. Versus if I can use multi-use money, and I'll give you one example. If I have money sitting in an account earning interest, why it's sitting there, I might have the protection of knowing that the money might not go down and I might have the interest that I'm earning on that account. So $1 doing two uses. If I put money into the family heritage business or let's say real estate, they both operate very similar. I can have the business can grow wealth so it can appreciate, I can grow the business. I can get tax deductions by having the business and I can create income from having that business. So now I'm having $1 do the work of multiple dollars. Right. So it's less about having money sit somewhere. You know, it's kind of like the parable of the talents. You know, I'm not trying to bury it. We're trying to put them to work. So how can we have money moving in and through our world such that we're always able to take advantage of the things that are most meaningful for us and always be able to be proactive instead of reactive? Again, that's going to be way more than we have time to get into today. But those are a couple of things. Lastly, I want to close up with just some ahas and some concepts and some things, because I know we've been going long here and I can talk and talk and talk and I get excited about these things, but let's bring it to a close. There's another concept called opportunity cost. And what that is, is that for one thing you're doing, it means you're not doing something else, right? If I take dollars and I put it in my savings account, then I'm not putting it in real estate. If I put it in real estate, then I'm not buying artwork, if I, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But the other one that I want to bring specifically to this is um, really not about the dollars and cents, but back to um, our business that we're building. And that ultimately at the end of the day, you can gain the whole world, but at what cost? And what I mean by that is, how are you with your money? Are you the type of person that you're just lousy to be around? You're so stressed about your money that it doesn't matter how much money you have, 
I don't want to be around you because you're just nasty and you're penny pinching and you're ugly and your spouse comes to you and says, I want to get a new something. And you go, well, how much is that going to cost? <laughs> because what was the cost of the wealth? At what cost? You can gain the whole world and lose those that are most important to you, right? If you're so tied up and so stressed because you're sitting there and 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 your, your kids are saying, gosh, I don't, you know what? I don't want anything to do with money because I see my parent and my parents seems like they're miserable. At what cost? And so the thing about our business is divorce is expensive. Losing your health is expensive. Losing your kids is expensive. And so you can go build all this money in all these places. But if you got to use it because you got to clean up the bad health choices you made, you got to clean up the bad personal choices you made, you got to pay for the lawsuits because you did different things, then was it really worth it? Did you really gain the wealth at what cost? So in our lives, we are constantly pulled towards what's your potential, what's your financial potential. And we have to understand that Family Heritage is a wonderful, and Globe Life is a wonderful business partner, but their job is to help us build our businesses. Our job is to help us build ourselves and our businesses, right? So we have to partner with those people. It's the same type thing. If you go to someone who's training for a fitness competition, then they, they, their priorities might be fitness competition, what that looks like, but at what cost? right? Or someone else who says, I'm going to be doing this, but at what cost? And so yeah. how you live today is impacting tomorrow. And the person you will someday be is the person you're now becoming. And so I want to kind of end with a quick story here. Years ago, there's this farmer who owned land along the Atlantic seacoast and, and he was constantly advertising for hired hands. And most of the people were reluctant to work on the farm law in the Atlantic because they had these awful storms that raged across the Atlantic. It was havoc on the buildings and the crops. But the farmer interviewed these applicants and he received a steady stream of refusals. And finally, there's a, this, this short, thin man, well past middle age. He approached the farmer and he says, are you a good farm hand? Um, and the farmer asked him and, and the man's response was, he says, well, you know, I can sleep when the wind blows. And the farmer is kind of puzzled by the answer. And he's like, uh, okay, I was asking if you're a good farm hand, but here we go. So the little man worked around the farm. They're busy from dusk to dawn. The farmer felt satisfied with the man's work. And then one night the wind came in. There was this really bad storm and it howled loudly in from the offshore. And, the, and he jumped out of bed. The farmer grabbed the lantern and he rushed to the door to like, get the hired hand up. And he says, listen, little man, wake up, wake up. A storm is coming. We need to tie things down before they blow away. And the little man rolled over in his bed and he says, sir, I told you I can sleep when the wind blows. And the farmer's getting frustrated. He's like, no, no, no. We, we, I'm about to fire this guy because we need to get the animals in. We got to get prepared for the storm. And to the amazement, he discovered when the farmer went out that that the, the little man had put all the haystacks covered with the tarps. And, and all the cows were in the barn and the chickens were in the coops and the doors were, in the, were barred shut and, and the shutters were tightly secured and everything was tied down. Nothing was blown away. And the man had been prepared in advance and he was rightly related to understanding his world. And so the farmer finally understood what the hired hand meant when he said, I can sleep when the wind blows. And so the interesting thing is we don't really know what our life's going to bring forward to us. We don't know what our money's going to come and go. But if we can understand money and how it works in our own world, and we can be rightly related to how it applies to us, then we can be on this journey and live a life well lived. And when our day comes that we're called home, we can say, I fought the good fight and I was intentional with what I did through all the phases of wealth. And I set myself up today, tomorrow, and the next day. And so these are just a lot of the little nuggets that I've got that hopefully can uh, bless some other people. 
This has been an Elevated Podcast production. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out our Instagram page at Elevated Financial. Like, share, and let us know what you want to hear more of.